Good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to Isaiah chapter 64. In verse 8. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. I'm not alone this morning. I've got a special guest with me by the name of Mark Jackson. Mark is from Ingram, Texas, uh, and is a master potter. Uh, he's not only very good at throwing pots, but he is a gifted musician. Uh, he's worked in all types of medium, uh, paint, uh, sculpting, you name it. He's had a hand in it, literally, uh, over the last 30 years. Uh, Mark has a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree uh, and has been training under some very, very uh, well-known people in his particular field, John Estrich, Ken Ferguson, Tom Coleman. Uh, he's won numerous awards for his work, and we are thrilled to have him this morning. Would you please put together your hands and give a great KCC welcome. My hope in having Mark here this morning is to forever cement in your mind that God in His greatness formed and molded and shaped this world. But even more so, that He has formed and shaped and molded your life for greatness. Hear the word of the Lord in Isaiah 64 and verse 8. And yet, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Thus saith the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the opportunity that we've had to gather here today and celebrate your majesty. We do stand in awe of an awesome God. And Father, we thank you this morning for um, the gifts and talents and abilities you have poured into Mark Jackson to be able to come and help us visually see what we hear today. Uh, thank you so very much for making good on your promise that wherever two or three or more are gathered in your name, there you are also. And so we ask humbly in your son's name, would you please come and speak to us in a way that only your spirit can inspire. And we ask us humbly in the name of Christ and everyone said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it may come as a surprise to you, but the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. And the word for God in Hebrew is the word Elohim here in our text. I need for you to say that with me, will you? Here we go. Elohim. Speak Hebrew well. Think that was fun. The Hebrew word for created is the word barah. I like that one. So take one with me, all right? This one's fun. Barah. In the beginning, Elohim barahed the heavens and the earth. This morning, we have uh, Mark, who's come to help me center stage. And Mark's a great potter. He's a great gifted artisan. He's going to make for us what I think is going to be a great potter too. Um, but Mark is not capable of barah. He's not capable of barah. Of creating something out of nothing. Mark's working on a pot right now. And he has some elements with him. That he's molding and he's mixed and he's shaping and he's forming. But he didn't barah the dust. And he didn't barah the water that he's making him with. He certainly can't speak. And all of a sudden a pot appear. But listen to me clearly. Elohim can. Elohim did. 
In the beginning, Genesis says, Elohim barad, the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Hebrew word for darkness and void is tov ovavohu, which gives me great pleasure to say. <laughs> Do not try this at home without a professional preacher. Tov ovavohu was the voidness. A better word is wildness, chaos, lack of order, lack of form, Hebrew scholars say, fits the word. And the Bible says the spirit of Elohim, the spirit of God, was hovering over this void, this formless, deep water. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the dark. The light was called day, and the dark was called night, and it was evening and morning the first day. Now, first impressions, if you'll agree, are pretty important, aren't they? Sometimes they really bother us because we don't seem to make a very good first impression, but I still think they're very significant, even for God. And so I think it's interesting that the first thing that God does in the beginning is that God brings light to darkness. He brings order to chaos. And before I go any further, this message about our Creator is significant in who He is, but I think it says a great deal about who we are. If there's darkness and confusion in your life today, now if a better word is to say, now there's chaos, then I want you to know that our God wants to speak a word to you. And He has the power, if you're willing, to do something amazing in you you could not do without Him. It is no more an accident, I believe, that God has some of you here today than I believe that this creation is an accident. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the sky to separate the waters from above from the waters below. And God created this expanse, and we call it sky. And it was evening and morning the second day. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters be gathered to one place and let the dry ground be gathered to another place. The gathered water God called seas. The gathered land God called land. And it was good. And then the same day God was busy on this particular day, God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in them according to its various kinds. And it was so. And on the earth, corn grew and tomatoes and mangoes and olives and pecans and peach trees and then also yellow squash (laughs) and Brussels sprouts and turnip greens. And lima beans. God saw that it was good, but he did not say it all tasted good. Got to get an amen for lima beans not tasting good. And there was evening and morning, the Bible says, the third day. Now, interesting, it is not until day four that God says, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. To give light to the earth, one for the day and one for the night. The scripture says these lights were to serve as signs. And to begin the numbering of days, the months, and the years, and the seasons, even the sacred times, the Bible says. And so God made two lights, a greater light to govern the day. We call it, what church? The sun. And then a lesser light to govern the night. We call it the moon. Good. He also made stars on this particular day. 
He placed them in the expanse we call sky, and God saw all that it, his hand had made, and he said it was good. And it was evening and morning, the fourth day. Are you beginning to see a little bit of a pattern here? We're only a few verses into a rather long, long book. And we notice a few reoccurring frames in this very first chapter. It appears to be maybe some type of poem, maybe some type of song, maybe some type of sermon. Poetry and songs in many of the sermons inside and outside of the Bible are written this way. Did you notice the repeating phrases in just the first four verses? One of them is, there was evening and morning. Now, we don't say that in America, do we? Our day starts with morning and then transitions into evening. What is up with that? We'll come back April 14th and I'll tell you, okay? That's just the first teaser of the day. Another refrain, and God said. And still yet another one, and it was so. These repeated refrains are incredibly significant because the days change and the things created on those days change. But notice what doesn't change. God doesn't change. And his power, his ability to be able to speak and to create instantaneously doesn't change. Now, I hope for some of you hearing me call this poetry or song, no, this does not diminish at all the significance of the Scripture. This doesn't change at least the fact that this is the inspired Word of God. No, in other instances of Scripture... The writers employ poetry or song to declare what God has done, and it's awesome. It doesn't diminish the significance of those events either. In Judges chapter 4 and verse 5, God uses this literary type to tell of a great battle with the Canaanites and his people win. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15, God uses this literary type to describe the nation of Israel escaping from the pursuing Egyptians through the Red Sea, and his people win. In Philippians 2 in the New Testament, What very well may have been an early Christian hymn of the church is found, and in it Paul celebrates the Son of God becoming a man and serving God and us to the point of giving his life on a cross. And we win. Poetry and song are often tools in Scripture for celebrating an event or set of circumstances, and they're central to all the Scripture. But what's even more central to all the Scripture is this, The who of the story, maybe sometimes not so much the how. That's true in Genesis 1 and 2. These opening chapters of a very long, long book make it clear who this God is going to be about. What he's going to be about. Creating, molding, shaping, investing. It's a story about God. He's the star of the story. He, he alone is the author of the story. And the question that I have to ask now, pause button, is do you believe that? You don't have to answer out loud. But I have to ask you, do you believe in someone who created us or do you believe that something created us? If you don't believe in a God who created us, that's okay. We're thrilled that you're here with us this morning and you're visiting. Please keep coming back. But we are God followers. And we believe God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? We believe that. And we didn't have to check our brains at the door to do so. There is a faith system that believes that something made this earth. And usually they're called evolutionists. Now, make no mistake about it, evolutionists are a faith-based group of people. 
They have a system of beliefs that they order their lives around just like we do, who are God followers. But we Christians are a God-based faith system, and we order our lives around, hear me clearly, someone. Evolutionists order their lives around something else. At their very core, evolutionists believe something very real and yet very random, very accidental, started a chain of events, a bang occurred, a chance collision of matter, something happened. But at its core of an evolutionist belief is this, that all of this that we know as earth on life was brought about through chance and accident. And I'm just going to tell you, I can't buy that. I can't. And I don't say that cynically because I really respect these intelligent people that we call scientists. I respect them because they analyze things and they breed things and they clone things and they transplant things and they cross-pollinate things. They just can't barah anything. Anything. And they do not credit someone with intentionally and precisely creating this world of ours. And so I disagree with them. And their conclusion that they make that something is responsible for this. Let me give you an illustration a different way. We've got quite a few of our folks who are absent today. Some of you who are visiting or helping to fill this place back up again. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming to be with us. But we're going to have some folks come back. And they're going to see this pot here that Mark has created. And I can almost guarantee you without any exception, no one is going to look at that and go, what an accident. (laughs) Unless they heard that I made it, then they would say, that's an accident. But nobody in this this simple, well-made, but simple, rudimentary, basic, pot, whether they saw it next week or whether they saw it a thousand years from now when they uncovered the rubble of this church building is going to say, that was an accident. They're just not. It's not logical. And that's a simple clay pot. Now, I don't think that they would say, this was an accident either. Much more intricate, much more detailed, much more amazing really. In a lot of ways. No one's going to say this building that we're now sitting in is going to say, that was an accident. An iPod was an accident. Folks, those are nothing compared to a tornado. Nothing compared to a season. Nothing compared to a galaxy. And nothing compared to you. Nothing. Evolution will forever remain a theory to Jimmy Sportsman as an origin of mankind because it lacks the credibility as a viable explanation of how all this got started. It just doesn't make sense, logical sense to me. Still, I need to tell you, and I really mean this, I'm not cynical about this. I'm grateful for scientists who help validate my beliefs that a loving, powerful creator precisely and purposefully made our world. The universe, thanks to scientists we have seen is incredible. I mean, incredible. Our universe, they tell us, has a hundred billion galaxies. Somebody counted. A hundred billion galaxies. Each of those galaxies has a hundred billion suns. And each of those suns has at least a hundred billion stars. They're estimating that our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, has 100 billion black holes. No wonder you feel down every now and then. 
It is immense. And it is wonder-filled. Scientists have found a planet that is racing through our Milky Way galaxy at 67,000 miles per hour. At the same time, it's spinning, rotating at 1,000 miles per hour. This planet is called Earth, and that's why you need to wear your seatbelt. Now, the Earth has a sun. Maybe better yet said, the sun has us. Because this earth receives 99% of its energy from the sun. The sun converts 4 million tons of that energy every second. Over an 11-year sun cycle, that energy varies less than one-tenth of 1%. All of this at a distance of 93 million miles from earth. 92 million miles, no life exists on planet earth. 94 million miles, no life exists on planet earth. Now, the Earth is unusual from other planets in that the Earth tilts on its axis 23.5 degrees. Other planets, Earth. Why? Why do we tilt? Because if it didn't tilt, we would either burn up or freeze up. One or the other. Sounds like Pong. Remember that game? That's the hockey game where it gets real fast. 23.5 degrees, why? Because it keeps this green ball living in its easiest description. This is achieved by 40% gravitational pull from the sun, 60% gravitational pull from a rock called the moon. It is a giant rock that just so happens to be positioned in the exact place we need for it to be so that the gravitational pull maintains its axis. And if it moved to 22.5% or 24.5%, No life on planet Earth. Now, how did we get this moon? Now, those who have a different face system than us believe that it was a total random accident, that this rock was just kind of flying by and the Earth's gravitational pull just happened to lodge it there. That would be the scientific equivalent of... Oh, Earth. The numerical equivalent of you winning the lottery every day for a million years. Accident? Remember, we're talking about theory here. Every single time. Something that accidentally created all of this baffles me. And yet scientists, the ones who inform us about much of that, still impress me. Because they tell me that hydrogen on our planet must convert one seven thousandth of its mass to helium continually for the Earth to sustain life. That's point zero zero seven continually. Point zero zero eight, no life on planet Earth. Point zero zero nine, no life on planet Earth. Point zero zero six, no life on planet Earth. Our atmosphere is twenty one percent oxygen. Twenty two percent, no life on Earth. Twenty percent, no life on Earth. Our oceans are 3.4% salt, which is the exact percentage of salt in the human bloodstream. Interesting. 4% salt in the oceans or in your body. No life on planet Earth. And this is just a tip of the iceberg. It's just a tip of the iceberg. Scientists tell us that our planet and our bodies have these minerals and elements within them that if they varied as much as just 1%, No life on planet Earth. And there's hundreds of them. And it's not just that there's hundreds of them. 
what the haunting truth is about any one of them. If that one was off just a little bit, it would render all the other hundreds irrelevant. An accident? Come on. Random? Really? Haphazard? I can't buy that. Logic dictates otherwise, and the Bible declares otherwise. You see, when Moses writes down the beginning of the world as we know it here in Genesis 1, he's writing Genesis to a nation of people who for 400 years have been enslaved by the Egyptians. Pong ball is back. These Egyptians, for 400 years, lived in the midst of gods made of metal and wood and stone with names like Ra, the sun god, and Isis, the magic god, and Ammon, the creator god. However, once these words were delivered, while Moses, as they think, was on Mount Sinai, scholars widely believe that he set straight once and for all for the nation of Israel who the God was, the spirit God, the limitless, eternal, the one who's always existed and always will exist, the same God that led them miraculously out of Egypt by ten incredible plagues. He said, this God made the heavens and the earth, not Ra, not Isis, and not Ammon. God gave Moses his version of how this world came into existence and it was written down in a day very much like our own where there were other creation stories that existed, other options as to who was responsible for what we know as life on planet Earth. Now, God does not go into a great deal of detail about the how, but he is very specific about the who and we believe it's true. That just gets us up to day four. He started filling in with land of vegetation, and then in day five, he moves to the sea. And God said, let the waters fill with creatures and let them reproduce according to their kinds, dolphins and tuna and beluga whales and shrimp and snow crab and halibut. Let the skies be filled with winged creatures, hawks and buzzards and cardinals and snow geese and eagles. Let them reproduce according to their own kind. And it was good. And it was evening and morning the fifth day. And then God said, let there be animals, wild ones like lions and tigers, and not so wild ones like cattle and sheep, animals that crawled on their bellies, and those that swung in the trees. And then he said, let there be small dogs whose owners dressed them in sweaters at Christmas time. He said, it's a little bit weird, but it's good. And then God said, let us make man in our own image. And so God made people. In his image, he made people. Male and female, he made people. And it was evening and morning the sixth day, and God saw all that he had made. And he said, it is very good. And then he rested. I'm worn out just telling you about it. But did he really rest? Come back April 14th, and you'll get to hear the answer to that. Right now, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. You've had a chance to hear. Now, I'd like a God to have a chance to hear from you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's stand. Let's. And you. 
The world is a fascinating place to study and to admire and to stand in awe of. But then there's you. If you can see me, raise your hand. Great. If you can see Mark, point to Mark. Oh, good. They can see us, Mark. You need to know that simple act of seeing is made possible by the visual cortex of your brain. That's connected ultimately to your retina in your eye, containing 110 million cones, 7 million rods, over a million nerve fibers, all so that you can see things. You have over 700 billion brain cells. Neural connections are somewhere in the trillions. Every second your brain is doing a trillion computations. And no one of those brain cells, interestingly enough, is the same. Your body has just produced, in the last two seconds, 2 to 10 million red blood cells. 100 million white blood cells are all being stored right now in your bone marrow. Which raises the question, if your body is producing new red blood cells that make you, you, and producing these cells at a rate of hundreds of millions every second, how does your body know to do that? Why is your body doing that? What keeps it going? What's behind it? Every one of these millions of cells is roughly six feet of DNA strand, cold inside of it, which is a map or a code that tells your body who you are and how to make more of you. Now, get this. If those DNA strands were stretched out, remember, there's six feet of them in each cell, it would be 80 billion miles of construction. That would go from the earth and back 400 times. Go to the sun and back 400 times. Friend, your body down to the millionth of a cell is hardwired to be you. Literally, you are irreplaceable. Mark just threw a pot over here. He's throwing another pot over there. There are no other pots like those in the world. They're pots. Some dirt and some water molded by a couple of hands. They're pots. They're not rods and cones and red blood cells and white blood cells. They're nothing like you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. Listen to David in Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 through 9. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. And you've put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the wild. The birds in the sky. The fish in the sea. All that swim the paths of the sea. You have made them. You, my friend are fascinating, not the stars, not just the galaxies, but you. It is amazing to me what God has done with just our bodies. And I'm just talking about the stuff that you can see. If we started talking on the atomic level of our bodies, it would just cause some of you to maybe pass out. I'm serious. Here's just a hint of that, all right? If 
you wanted to see an atom with your naked eye, you would have to be one billionth of an inch and have a very high voice. One billionth of an inch and you could see with your naked eye an atom. Atomic reality is a mind blower. But you don't need a microscope to see that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created, friend, with intention and purpose. And you are not evolved from a monkey. I love the story about a little girl who asked her mommy, how did the human race get started? And mom said, God made the first man with his own hands. He breathed life into him. And then he made woman. He put the man to sleep. And from one of his ribs, God fashioned a beautiful woman. And in turn, they were given the gift of bearing children. That, sweetie, is how you came to be. The little girl went in the living room and asked her, Daddy, Daddy, how did mankind come into existence? He said, well, many years ago, man evolved from a one-celled organism and after millions and millions of years turned into a monkey and from that evolved into a man. That's how you came to be. Well, the girl was a little bit upset and confused. She went back to her mommy and said, Mom, I don't understand this. You said God created us. Daddy says we come from monkeys. How in the world can that be? Her mom said, oh, that's easy. I was just explaining where my side of the family came from. And your daddy was explaining where his came from. No matter what point of view you take, someone made the earth or something made the earth. Jesus' followers believe God made the earth. He started this whole thing. And to be honest... To believe that that happened randomly takes more faith than I can muster. Some of us, however, who are God followers get hung up on the details of the how. Let's just admit it. Some of you here have been in heated arguments about dinosaurs and young earth versus old earth and carbon dating and seven literal days or seven figurative days. All I can say is Genesis 1 and 2 are not about the how. It is about the who. The who. And if you want to get what's going on in this world and what part, listen to me, friend, you play in it, you've got to start there. Now, I am no expert. I've just been parroting some facts you can find on the Internet, all right? But I am here to testify of the witness. This will change your life. You will experience life as it was intended to live when you understand God made life. It starts there. You say, but Jimmy, there's all this brokenness in the world. There's all this chaos, both outside and in me. How could there be a God? Keep coming for the rest of this series. It's just the beginning of the book. All right? We'll get to that. And if you want to know how not only God shapes a world in greatness, but shapes you for greatness, you keep coming. All right? And you'll find out how your story fits under his story that's unfolding every day. If you believe that God created the heavens and earth, you will have no problem believing a fish could swallow a man. And a man could live. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, you'll have no problem believing that a nation of people in bondage for 400 years of slaves could be let out after 10 miraculous plagues through a Red Sea that folded up like a curtain and they walked through on dry ground. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, 
you could maybe believe that God could come get in the flesh like we are and walk on water and heal blind people and cripple people with just his touch and speak to a man who's been in the grave several days and say, Lazarus, come see me. A loving God wants to have his hand in forming and shaping your life. But you get to choose someone or something. Now, if you'd like to start down the path, if you haven't been, of believing someone, that maybe some way, somehow, this word has spoken into your darkness, maybe into your chaos, and you said, that makes sense. Now, where do I go next? Come find me. I'll be standing right down here, or one of our elders who will be around this auditorium. Say, I just want to get started with whatever the next step is in getting to know this creator and how he can make a difference in my life. If you've came with a friend today, ask them. They'll help you get started. But it boils down to this. In the beginning, God. God. And if you get that, the rest of the book makes a lot of sense. Father in heaven, we come to you and we're grateful that you have lovingly and kindly, purposefully, intentionally made us. Nothing else makes sense, Lord. We can look at these great pots that Mark has made today, and they're just, they're just simple water and clay, and we can know that's no accident. Help us, Father, to have eyes to see, open our hearts to see, certainly then, this world is no accident, and we are no accident. God, there are other words, other voices that speak into our lives that say we're not worth the clay that these pots were made of. Help us to believe differently. That's something so intricate and so incredible and detailed and precise as a human being could be made. Has to mean we're valuable. Thank you, Father, for the word that allows us to have this revealed to us. If you didn't love us enough to reveal it, we wouldn't know it. We'd still be scratching our head and we'd be worshiping rocks and metal and stone. Thank you for coming to get in it with us. Thank you for loving us enough to do this. We can't wait for what you shape and mold into us next. In Jesus' name.